0: God is God, you are not. May all of the peace and contentment that comes from keeping both of those clear be yours today in abundance. It's almost time for the Olympic Games to start, approximately one year after we all thought they would have started in 2020. And my family and I, we, when we're able, enjoy watching the Olympic Games because those athletes are simply in a class by themselves. How fast can they run? How high can they jump? How far can they fly? As they're twisting through the air, sticking the perfect landing. Well, there there was one time actually when we were watching the Olympics and a person in our family disagreed with that, that they were in a class by themselves. My five-year-old son, at the time, watched Usain Bolt dust everyone in the 100-meter dash and concluded, if I was in a race with that guy, I would win. He's a little more clear now on reality. To his credit, he watched Michael Phelps swim and said, if I was in a race against that guy, I would lose. So... He was more impressed with his running than his swimming. But here's the point. When we are tilted that way in our view of God, making ourselves to be faster, smarter, and more in control than we actually are, as well as tilted in that view of God, who is smaller and slower and more naive and helpless than he actually is, we're going to be off in both directions and in a world of trouble. God is God. He's in a class by himself. You are not, and I am not, and no one else is God besides the only God that exists. Today, we get some help from the scriptures to clarify us in both directions. Jesus is with his disciples on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He's been teaching the crowds. He can't hardly go anywhere without people all around him. And because he's true man, he's getting tired. So as he is teaching the crowds and parables, as well as pulling back from time to time to teach his disciples a little more Clearly, and giving them the inside scoop on the parables, Jesus has this suggestion. Notice it was his idea. Verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. So it was Jesus' idea to get in the boat and sail across the Sea of Galilee, which is roughly eight miles wide, by 12 miles long, to the other side. It all seemed pretty normal until normal changed in a heartbeat. Verse 36, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Let's unpack that a little bit. Remember, this is all Jesus' idea to get in the boat that night, knowing what was coming. Storms could pop up out of nowhere on the Sea of Galilee. It's somewhat common because the Sea of Galilee is almost like the bottom of a bowl. There's small hills around it and 10,000-foot mountains only 30 miles away. So the cold air rushes over those mountains and occasionally collides with the warm, moist air of the sea and weather happens. These fishermen, though, these disciples, most of them being former fishermen, they had grown up on the lake. They were used to things like this, weren't they? Yes and no. Yes, they were, except maybe not this time, because the storm was that intense, that severe, that troubling. These fishermen, who had their sea legs and their wits about them and all of their experience, were absolutely freaked out, terrified for their lives. Here's the picture. The whole thing, as far as we could tell with our eyes and ears if we were there that day. The waves are six to eight feet high, and the boat's only four feet high, and the water's crashing over the side. And Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. The disciples are bailing water as fast as they all can, all 12 of them. And the water's still coming in faster than they're getting it out of there and Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. The wind is howling and their clothes are blowing in all directions like a flag in a hurricane and Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. The disciples know full well if a boat gets full of water to a certain point The boat and everything in it is going to sink to the bottom of the lake, and things are headed in that direction, and Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. The two activities couldn't be more opposite, wouldn't you say? And finally, the disciples got to the point in fear where they felt entitled to, to ask Jesus a question with energy in their voice and maybe even a little bit of demand included. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And they didn't ask that because they were wanting him to do some great miracle to end it all. They probably asked that simply because there were 12 guys bailing and one guy sleeping, and they wanted him to help bail. Jesus, don't you care? It gets too close to home sometimes, doesn't it? Because we all know what it's like to have that same feeling of rushed activity in difficult times not because we are in the middle of a storm on a lake, but because we are in the middle of some crisis in our life. Jesus, don't you care that He is sick, that she is sick, that I am sick? Jesus, don't you care that my marriage is really rocky and bumpy right now? Jesus, don't you care that my money is running out? And I don't know what's coming next. Jesus, don't you care that COVID wrecked so much of normal for so long? Jesus, don't you care? We ask that in so many areas of our life. Why? When we ask that, it's more important than ever to keep track of two things. God is God, and you are not. And it's not sinful to ask that because that's prayer, isn't it? When you're talking to God and asking Him for anything. But it is sinful if we are thinking, I am God and He is not. I am the one today who is bigger and stronger and on the ball and in the know and in control. And He is the one who's small and weak and slow. And foolish and not even paying attention even though he says that he is sometimes we ask that Jesus don't you care with energy in our voice and it's sinful if we ask that with God is God you are not flipped around however we repent of that sin and then thankfully we find out that Jesus is God and we are not And he has so many wonderful promises to share. We see here on this day, this night actually, in the Sea of Galilee, that Jesus is the true, the one and only God, man. He's man because he's there, a man, sleeping. He's tired, exhausted. But he's God because when he was awakened, took him a grand total of two words to do what nobody else could ever do. Quiet, he said to the wind. Muzzled, he said to the waves. And they listened. They followed his orders. They were quiet. And they were muzzled. Then they wouldn't get to talk anymore until Jesus decided that they would talk and make noise and do something. Don't miss the fact that just like that, the wind that was blowing the disciples' cloak so strongly was all of a sudden not there. And don't miss the fact that the waves which were crashing over the boat, bringing more and more water, To the point where these experienced fishermen were legitimately afraid of drowning, stopped. And it was calm like glass at sunrise when you're on a lake. In the end, the disciples paid attention to those two important facts God is God, we are not. Here's uh, the rest of the verses. Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples had felt entitled earlier to ask Jesus a question. Don't you care? And now Jesus correctly was entitled to ask them a question. Why are you so timid? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so cowardly? Where's your faith? You got God in the boat. Here's the thing. When you're in a storm in life, and I heard somebody say once either you're in a storm or you're about to be in a storm, and we've all lived long enough where we can say that's, that's kind of true. When you're going through a storm in life, you've maybe heard somebody say, focus on the facts, not on the feelings. But we need to sharpen that and clarify that, because think about those disciples in the boat. If they were to focus on the facts and not on the feelings, where would they have ended up? their feelings were I'm afraid I'm gonna die there's nothing we can do about it and it's terrible those were the feelings but were the facts any different fact eight-foot waves four-foot boat fact wind blowing really hard fact we're bailing and the water is still coming in fact A boat full of water gets to a point where it will sink to the bottom with everything in it. The facts weren't any better than the feelings, according to their eyes and ears. The facts that made a difference were the facts about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The facts that he is God and they are not. So there are the facts to cling to when we're in the middle of a storm. Not the earthly facts, the things that we can compile of our earthly day-to-day lives, what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears of this earth, or what we hear other people saying, the information we gather. The facts to cling to are the facts of the Scripture, the facts of Christ's promises, the facts about who He is and what He has done, what He will do. Because no matter what storm we're in the middle of, we've got God in the boat who can't turn off his love, who always is God and always will be God, who never stops looking out for our best interest even if it means a storm is coming. Because remember, it was Jesus' idea to get in the boat that night. Why? Why? Not because he was some smart aleck going, ha, 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 I can't wait to watch these guys almost die before I pull them out of it. But because he wanted to sharpen them in those two important facts. He is God. They are not. And in the end, after it all went down, we can easily say they were sharpened in both of those facts. What a gift That we are able to say in awe, God is God, and I am not. We're able to see clearly from all angles. We will never have little kid being unable to size up himself versus Usain Bolt-itis. We will always say, God is far beyond me in every way. And I am so small and helpless in every way. But that's a great place to be. When you know who God is. When you know who Jesus is. When you know how wise He is, how loving He is, how He's always looking out for you, and how heaven is our home. We also are able to get our expectations back on track. Without meaning to, I think we all slip into thinking, I'm God, or at least pretty close to it. And. I can arrange for myself a life with perfect peace where nothing goes wrong. We need to get our expectations in line where we are not able to do that at any point in time. And we also need to get our expectations in line about God who also has never promised that he will do that at any point in time. But what has God promised He has not promised that he gives the ability to fix everything to us, and he has not promised that he will give the ability to understand everything to us, but he has promised that he will bring relief to us in any and every storm that comes up. Jesus said to these same men, a couple of years later, the night before he died, in this world, guys, you will have trouble. But he didn't stop there. He said, but take heart. In me you can have peace. I have overcome the world. God is God. You are not. When the present is uncertain, And the future looks to be even more uncertain than the present. It's easy to be afraid. It's easy to be anxious. It's easy to be full of activity like the disciples bailing water or straining at the oars and feeling like not only are you not getting anywhere, you're actually backtracking. Focus on eternal facts, not earthly facts or feelings. God is God. You are not. Enjoy peace in Christ even as the storms rage. Enjoy everything Jesus has lived and died and risen and ascended to give you. What a gift to drink in eternally. God is God. I am not. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Time is precious. Thank you so much for investing some of your time with us today. Could I ask you for one more favor? If you're enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to click subscribe and give us a rating. Just a few seconds of your time will help other people hear the simple, straightforward Bible message we offer. Thank you so much. God bless your day in Christ.